Hey, what's up? This is Jason from Death Therapy, and you're listening to the Campfire Conversationalist Podcast. Yeah. Greetings. Matt, how are you, mate? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Yeah, doing great, mate, for early in the morning. Yeah, how bad. It's just early in the afternoon here. (laughs) Uh, All to do with the sun, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right now, let's see, the sun's just kind of like almost straight above. A little bit, not quite. It's uh, We're so far north that it never gets straight ahead. It's always like south, you know, it goes east and then way south and then to the west, so. Yeah, it's pretty much opposite for me because I'm so far south that, yeah, it never really gets overhead either because, yeah, being about 34 degrees latitude on a fair way from the equator, but yeah, just, that's just the world we live in at the moment, isn't it? That's like, wow, that's almost, uh, I, Man, I'll have to double check, but I think we're about 34 north of the equator, too. That's crazy. That's awesome. That's that's, that's pretty perfect for doing some, some observations. We have to. Yeah, I'll have to double check. I know it's like around there, but I can't remember our, our exact latitude and longitude. But um, yeah, that would be cool. That'd be fun to do some observations. Um, what was I going to ask? Oh, yeah. I was going to ask uh, so what are your winters like? Um, well, it's coming into winter now. Like the, the the days when the sun's out, it's still nice and warm. But yeah, overnight it's getting pretty cold. But um, it only really ever snows in Australia at altitude. I'm not sure if that's how it is for America too. But there's only one or two kind of places in Australia that actually has a regular snow season. Everywhere else is just cold and frosty sort of thing. Um, oh, yeah. It's it's definitely pretty mild compared to. Um, like most of your north has has snow, am I right? Yeah, I would say uh, it's it's kind of it kind of hit or miss. But um, most of my life, I've lived in the northeast the United States. When I was really young, I lived down south. Um, but I've been all over the country, different parts of the year. So, like I remember in two thousand and maybe eleven. I was in Texas during January and it was about 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So I, that's what, maybe 17 degrees Celsius or maybe 20 degrees Celsius or something like that, maybe. And uh, yeah, that was their January. Whereas like here in, in Wisconsin in January, it's like zero degrees Fahrenheit, which is, I don't even know what that is in Celsius. like cold maybe minus 10 or 20 degrees celsius i would imagine yeah i'm, I'm so, those sort of conversions there when when you guys kind of talk talk fahrenheit there i've, I've really got no idea i think it sorts itself out at minus 40 both both are the same at minus 40 but yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um i kind of can i can get a a decent guess i'm usually not right on but just because i used to drive in canada a lot 
and it's metric there so i kind of have like a rough idea of what like temperatures kind of are and stuff like that but i'm not like super close i just kind of guess just to me it seems like <clears throat> you, you americans kind of do everything totally opposite to the english that's, that's oh just, yeah this is what it looks like from the outside like you drive on the opposite side of the road you use fahrenheit instead of celsius you use kind of the imperial instead of metric sort of <laughs> yeah i don't understand why we why we still use the um not state or imperial or standard we call it standard um <laughs> yeah. instead of metric because even our military uses metric they don't use the standard quote-unquote um measurement system they use metrics so when you go to the military you have to learn it so like just civilians in america are the only ones that use that which seems completely doesn't make any sense yeah it's it nonsense i didn't even know that because yeah in, in the movies you never see any military people kind of talking any uh, metric units yeah yeah i've got a few buddies that were in the military and they'll always be like talking to me and then they'll start you know, they'd be like saying this and that and metric, and I'm like, wait a minute, dude, I don't, I don't speak metric yet. <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, sorry. Uh, so yeah, that's what, at least that's what I've heard from my buddies that they had to learn it. I mean, maybe they use both, but I know they learn, they learn uh, metric in the military. So it's kind of, it's kind of useless, really. I mean, I don't even know why we use it still it's so it seems like it's just an outdated thing or maybe it's there just to confuse us i have no idea yeah it could be a total confusion thing that's what most things in the world are aren't they just just convoluted just to conquer and divide, divide and yeah because like when you're like when you're working on a car or whatever and you have like a foreign car you have to get like you know the metric tools and to me it's much quicker if you're trying to figure out what like socket wrench you need if you're like oh i've got a 10 millimeter but the 10 is you know too big or too small so now i just know well, let me go up or down a size you know just add or subtract a number but when you got you know the fractions of an inch then you got to sit there and figure it out in your head i mean i'm sure some guys have it all memorized but like for someone who doesn't like use or work on vehicles that often just you know when i absolutely need to and you got to sit there and figure something out. It's kind of annoying, like the the standard imperial system. It's it just is it's kind of dumb. It makes well, more sense to just add add or subtract a, a millimeter. <laughs> yeah, it just it just seems a lot easier. But yeah, those those sizes that you're talking about, they actually yeah pretty different because we have to at my work, kind of my line of work, like I work on old transformers and that sort of thing. I think from the from the 80s and older. Um, we were using the imperial system, so we have to yeah, go through and find those um, those sockets with the with the ratios on them. But um, from from that point onwards, from yeah the, the 80s to more recent, yeah, it's the uh, metric system. So we have to kind of know both. But I'm still hopeless at the at the imperial ratios. I, I still can't figure out which which one is which. Like I just kind of line it up and <laughs> just see what fits. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's, I think it's probably just for confusing people, because usually people are going to use one or the other. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so let's see, what else can I tell you about the winners? Yeah, like it depends on how far south you go. Um, Ohio, like, gets lots of snow, but then when you start getting into Kentucky, 
it starts to get less and less. And then Tennessee's just south of that, and they barely get any snow. And then it's kind of like that, like from what I've noticed. Um, the yeah, definitely the 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 states that are right on the border and just south of the states that are right on the border tend to get like a lot of snow in the winter, and then everything else is kind of just here and there and like you might like it, it'll probably fall and then melt in most places that don't <clears throat> regularly get snow but then there's like like places in Arizona like Flagstaff Arizona which is really 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 high in the mountains and they get snow every year from what I hear although I've never driven through Flagstaff when it had snow so I don't know that for myself but everyone I've ever talked to says that Flagstaff you know gets really snowy in the winter but that's the only place in Arizona um, just because it's so high up yeah so it seems like it is altitude over there as well like just because you're north doesn't mean it's going to snow everything everywhere sort of thing like it's more right. the places at altitude so there's more mountains like in the north of America well let's see I mean the Rockies run north and south, and then they're definitely the biggest probably in, in Colorado. And then, you know, the more north and south of that, they're, they're still pretty pretty impressive, but they're definitely, you know, not as big um, out, outside of Colorado. But then, like, Wyoming is really far, or not really far, I'm sorry. Um, Wyoming is just north of Colorado, and its altitude is actually, um, like for instance, um, um, oh, what's that city? Cheyenne. Cheyenne, Wyoming is actually a higher altitude than Denver, and everybody calls Denver the mile high city. Uh, so the so Denver, its altitude's like, I don't know, like I think it's like 6,000 feet or something like that. But then Cheyenne is like 7,200 feet. Uh, from what I remember, um, but then when you start going east of of Cheyenne, it's all downhill in the, into Nebraska, and then once you get about halfway through Nebraska, the altitude's like 800 feet. So you go from 7,200 feet all the way down to 800 feet, and it's like a 300 mile drive roughly to like the middle of the state of of uh, Nebraska from Cheyenne. So in like a I don't know six seven hour you know drive you go from seven thousand feet to like eight hundred feet and it's almost not even noticeable it's just a gradual down slope or up slope depending on which way you're going you know like the entire way but yeah like Nebraska Kansas those those states are extremely flat and like there's I mean it's just like cornfields cornfields and cows that's all you see. In, Nebraska and Kansas and Oklahoma too a little bit. Oklahoma's a little bit more scenic. It's a little more deserty and a little bit less farmland, but it's still got some of that too. Um, and then like pretty much everything west of Colorado and the Rockies is all like either desert and mountainous or evergreeny. So like the Northwest, like Washington State is is like you know, uh, well, actually, the east side of Washington is kind of deserty, but then the closer you get to the ocean, um, like near Seattle, um, it gets, it's just like this beautiful, like evergreen type, you know, and there's ferns everywhere, moss grows on everything. 
Uh, so that's kind of like the West Coast. And, and it gets snowy in Washington, too, but it's the temperatures aren't as severe there. It's like, uh, I mean, I lived in Washington when I was a teenager, but that would have been like in the mid-90s. So I'm going off of, you know, my memory now. Um, so the winters might get maybe 20 degrees at the coldest, which is like not that cold for me. And then, and then in the summer, you know, maybe 80s, 80 degrees. So let's see for you, for, let's see for the Celsius, I guess 20 degrees would be like maybe five or six below zero. And then 80 degrees is maybe like 30, yeah, maybe about 30 degrees Celsius or something like that. Yeah, so that's not pretty, a huge, mild. yeah, it's pretty mild, but it does get a lot of snow there because you know, it's kind of a, a rainy place anyway, so um, they can't get a lot of snow. There's a lot of mountains in Washington, and there's a lot of skiing and stuff like that, uh, but it's just a lot more mild than than on the east side of the country, for sure. Yeah, well, yeah, here in Australia, like, um, like most of it, I think it's like 90, 98% of our population is actually like 50, like, I think that's about 20 miles from from the actual coast like all the way around australia so there's there's actually not many people living um yeah in, in the rest of australia in the middle of australia but just because it's so harsh it's pretty much just yeah. desert it's uh yeah it's, it's crazy like because there's there's most of the mountains are kind of within that range near the uh near the coast and but they're not too high like they're they're kind of it kind of plateaus out a bit and people do do live up those mountain ways but like i think it's 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 under um well it's maybe 600 meters um most of the way which is maybe 1200 feet i'm guessing maybe possibly I'm not sure how to convert the but i know it's, it'll be three so i think there's about three feet in a meter so maybe 1800 feet so um but yeah so people live a lot lower than that near more more near the coast is because the climate is better there's more farmland like just near the coast um just, right just, yeah just the kind of it's it's a lot more mild here in australia like in and if you actually look on um it's, it's really interesting because you like in america and in canada like the um the latitudes go right up like to to close to zero but where our most southern latitude here um we visited last year in, in Tasmania, and, and that's only about 45 degrees south, and that's the most south that, that Australia actually gets. And so oh, we can't, wow. yeah, so we can't really compare to what sort of um, kind of climate and temperatures that you guys have because you guys go so much further north. Yeah, I don't know how people in northern Canada do it in the winter. Like I know it gets nice and green there in the summer. But man, the winters there got to. I mean, they're bad here in Wisconsin. I can't imagine what they're like in northern Canada. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Like the only thing I could compare it with would be kind of in the south would be kind of South America, how it kind of stretches um, almost the way to Antarctica. But I think that even the most southern point in in South America is nowhere near like the most northern point in in Canada and, and Alaska and that sort of thing. And you just see. Like you just compare those, like the most southern point of South America and, and kind of um, in South Africa to the same latitudes north, and there's just a world of difference. Like there's, there's still kind of greenery up north. There's, there's still animals. There's still like kind of 
been growing and living, whereas yeah, you, get, you kind of go south of those latitudes and it's just nothing. Like pretty much as soon as you hit Antarctica, like it's just penguins. There's nothing else, there's no greenery, nothing, nothing grows, nothing uh, lives. <sighs> What do penguins eat? Yeah. This just got to be fish, right? Yeah, just fish in the ocean, I guess. There's no kind of land animals other than than penguins, as far as I know. And that's 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 all that's um, kind of claimed to be there. Right. But, yeah, those those southern latitudes, if you convert it to the northern latitudes, there's still things, yeah. It's, a, it's worlds apart. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've, I've, I've never really been too far out of the United States. I've been to... Like some southern parts of Canada, and I've been to a couple places in Mexico, and then I've been to the Caribbean and Belize, which Belize is like, uh, I believe it's like, it'd be like near Panama, but south of Mexico or south-ish. So, yeah, that's about it for me as far as like travel. But Belize, I was expecting it to be... excuse me super hot and you know because it's so far south compared to where we're at but it's like it was so you know it's way more closer to the equator than um you know like northern mexico which in in mexico it just gets blazing hot and same with southern you know like texas and arizona and california you know those southern states they get just brutally hot uh but belize was like nice like even though it was on the ocean it or yeah it it didn't get super humid and um i went on an excursion there and i was expecting you know it to be like all this nasty humid unbearable like jungle and there wasn't even really hardly any bugs i was like shocked at how nice it was in belize so yeah i mean anybody listening like if you want to take a trip down into central america anywhere belize is is a really surprisingly temperature wise comfortable and it was really pretty there too yes but that's about the extent of my travel i don't yeah that's that that kind of sounds like the the tropical kind of queensland that we have like the more northern states that we have in, in Australia here, like it's it's a lot more tropical, um, like the the Tropic of Cancer, I think it is, or Capricorn, whichever one we have down here. Um, right. Like it kind of runs through the middle of um, yeah the, the more northern states, and yeah, just the, the weather up there is just beautiful. Like all year round, it's it's really nice. Except in nice. summer, it does get really humid, like really tropically humid, like the thunderstorms oh. most yeah. most afternoons and that sort of thing. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's like kind of the northern, like yeah, tropical rainforest. They're beautiful in the summer. Wild, wildlife and and uh, crocodiles. Crocodiles are a big thing up there. They're it's a main attraction. Oh, that's where all the crocodiles are is in the north. Yeah, in the north. Yeah, See, that makes sense because like my parents live and my sister live in Florida, and there's a lot of alligators down there in Florida. I mean, you could just be on a golf. Actually, my parents live right behind a golf course, and um, like you could be playing golf and see, you know, an alligator just crawl out of a pond there in Florida. <laughs> it's pretty nuts. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not scared of alligators. My friend, my friend and I used to have a couple. <laughs> 
because yeah. I'm sure it wasn't it, it, something like that's not a pet you're allowed to legally have. So allegedly, my friend and I used to have some, and uh, they're they're cool creatures. Like they're they're when they're really young babies, they kind of squeaked like ee, ee, ee. and you know they're pretty cute. And then they get older, and then they start getting a little more feisty. But I'm not like I don't have a fear of like reptiles and alligators and stuff like that to me that i think they're pretty awesome and uh they don't they don't really intimidate me especially alligators i used to be like when i was a child i remember thinking oh you know i hope i never get chased by an alligator which is a really random thought but um really i mean unless you're just don't see an alligator they're really not that super dangerous they can't you know they're pretty they're kind of move awkwardly and you know, if you're on land, they're not going to really sneak up on you. I feel like you probably hear them. And uh, and if you, you know, you grab their mouth, they can't really do anything. You can't open their mouth. So, yeah, I don't know. I think they're cool, cool creatures. <laughs> That's, it sounds so different to our crocodiles because you would not near, go near a crocodile. You wouldn't be able to grab its mouth because it's just so, so big and it would get you before you yeah. even get near it. So there's, yeah, crocs the, get pretty big. Crocs are massive, yeah. The saltwater crocodile, like the freshwater ones that sound like your alligators, they're pretty timid and, and kind of uh, a bit more yeah. docile. But yeah, the saltwater crocs, uh, they're, they're nuts. Like there's yeah, a fair few deaths each year just from people kind of swimming. Like even in the ocean, they're in the ocean up, up north, so you wouldn't even know that they're there. Um, oh, wow. They just, yeah, they will. The kind of, the, the thing is like they, they prey on easy meat, so just people swimming in in kind of rivers and and in the ocean that sort of thing and not going there because they camouflage super well and they are pretty aggressive like even on the land like you could be just on the on the river bank or something and like it would, it would come like kind of jump out out of the water and like give you a good good chase because they're they're not too bad on land like kind of running so they're all, all around you yeah, killing killing machine if you if you kind of in those areas because yeah there was there's actually a few floods earlier in the year and um there was lots of videos going around of, of people with crocodiles just floating in their front yard and down the street and kind of just driving there's a crocodile flying down <laughs> down the street next to them it's pretty, wow. pretty nuts yeah at the start of this year there's some some big floods and yeah just in um in winter like it's it's pretty mild up north still so but in, in the water i think it's a like it's just a like they can still live in the water but they they come on the land a lot more and that's where you see them kind of just sunbaking and they're a lot more docile oh, in winter so it's, it's not too bad gotcha. but yeah in in summer is there yeah, the dangerous period where it's nice and warm in the water and they can just stay there for for ever just waiting for an easy easy meal sort of thing and that's where yeah you don't even know and we've we've got um box jellyfish as well they're absolutely nuts like you have to kind of if you want to go into water up north um like you have to wear like a full wetsuit and like um a mask and that sort of thing because yeah they're like they're only like the actual jellyfish themselves are only pretty small but they've got up to eight meters in length of um of tentacles and, and they will kill you pretty much within kind of half an hour if you don't get oh, people attention so yeah there's lots of things that can kill you in, in australia especially in the water and on the land like yeah, we've got a lot of snakes and spiders and yeah see i was just gonna say i love the pythons that australia has i'm a huge fan of some of the pythons you have, you guys have there I, my buddy and i used to collect snakes and uh right right probably towards the end when um after we quit doing it um 
we both started really getting the Australian snakes and uh, like the carpet python and there's a bunch of them that are just really really cool looking snakes and you know pretty pretty docile to a lot of them I mean the pythons I don't know about all the other ones but <clears throat> yeah I know you guys have of course you guys have bearded dragons too is that correct yeah yeah that's pretty yeah. popular pet here too yeah we love them actually. yep yeah. yeah I like beardies those are cool so yeah yeah, then, they're, they're uh, beautiful. Yeah, the, the the pythons are nice too. Yeah, the 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 non-venomous ones, they're beautiful. Like you can just kind of keep them as pets, and like you just need a reptile license, and that's not hard to do. You just apply for it and just pay for it, pretty much, and um, just pretty much to register what you have. But um, yeah, it's it's more. I think we've got nine of the top ten world's most venomous snakes, and like they pretty much just in your backyard at any given moment, <laughs> like just just hiding there. Like yeah, just where I live, um, just a couple couple of doors down they had a brown snake which is yeah, one of the more aggressive ones that actually chase you if you get too close to it and um yeah would probably kill a human adult within 15 minutes but like it's it's one of the ones that's pretty pretty common which is scary but like there's lots of anti-venom as well like all the hospitals have and paramedics kind of oh, get called out pretty pretty regularly so it's uh it's dangerous but it's like yeah kind of we get we got brought up like kind of knowing about them and um, just watching out from like we do a lot of bushwalking that sort of thing as a family and like the kids know like stay on the trails and don't and kind of making like we, we'd like to see wildlife so we try to stay quiet but if you if you do kind of in, in summer anyway like if you do kind of trample a bit more like snakes do get scared off so that's what we kind of trying to do in, in summer oh, if, gotcha. we do, if we do like just the vibrations and that sort of thing but yeah it's it's not only yeah, snakes and spiders as well. We've got one called the Sydney Funnel Web, and that's one of the most deadly ones. And that'll actually go for you as well. Like it's huge. Like if you want wow. to yeah, look that up, that's yeah, it's it's fangs are massive and it's really aggressive. And like they kind of just make little holes in the ground with a bit of web, and uh, anything that kind of goes near it, they just come out and, and take it straight away, and, and they'll, oh, they'll, wow. they'll kill you pretty quick too. So they're, they're all be beautiful creatures, but yeah, very deadly. Yeah, I know in some of the southern states here, they have, uh, there's more, um, like, uh, what's, I'm trying to think, uh, there's rattler snakes, there's di yeah, diamondback, there's east eastern diamondback and a western diamondback uh, rattler snakes, and then there's a few, like a, oh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones, copperhead, I think. There's a few venomous ones here in the states too, but yeah, they're not nearly as deadly as as anything like that unless you're either a child or elderly then you know the risk is higher but it seems like um usually it's like teenagers and it's usually like they say males in like their late teens and 20s that get bit yeah, i'm under one <laughs> you know they're is. trying to do they're trying to pick it up yeah so. <laughs> yeah watch me catch this snake exactly <laughs> ah! Oh man, Rat so, uh, rattlesnakes are so cool. Like there's, there's nothing that get I could compare to a rattlesnake. Like I just haven't had the experience of like yeah, seeing something that makes that sort of noise and like that just sounds yeah. like it's so awesome and unique to do. Yeah, so they're, cool. they're pretty awesome. Um, I used to have a buddy, another buddy, um, and he had a, a pair of albino rattler snakes and. I don't know how long he kept it. He probably ended up getting rid of them, but they were they were pretty cool looking. 
because uh, it had you could still see the pattern, but it was like a you know like a violet color, and then like that that pale greenish yellowish, you know, uh, almost like a glow in the dark looking albino color, and they were pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I only saw them one time. Um, and and ven- venomous snakes in the U.S. It just depends on the state you live in, if you're allowed to have them or not. So it's kind of like a state by state thing. So yeah, I don't know. I don't really have any interest in, in having venomous snakes as pets, just because I'm not that confident to handle snakes like that. Um, but like pythons or boas or colubrids or anything like that um i'm cool with handling um yeah actually there's a couple of other breeds of snakes that whip their tails like rattlers as like a warning they just don't have actual rattlers on their tail um i think i can't remember if it's the king snake or it's been so long since i was really hardcore into reptiles so i kind of going off my memory but uh, I think maybe it might have been kink snakes or something like that where they'll they'll warn you they'll curl up and everything just like a rattler and they'll start whipping their tail before they strike you they're just there's no venom they just bite and that's it you know that's that so yeah that's pretty yeah. cool yeah oh and here's something for you and anybody else that doesn't know this kink snakes are actually really good to have around your property if you live in an area um, where there are venomous snakes because um, king snakes are actually uh, like cannibals. They'll eat other other breeds of snakes and they're like immune to like venom. So yeah, that's wow. why they call them king snakes is because they like, they're not, they're not affected by um, venom. I mean, I, I don't know if that's across the board with every other, you know, venomous snake breed, but I know the ones in the United States, like, you know, rattlers and stuff like that. Um, they they don't their venom doesn't affect the king snakes and so a lot of people that are smart like to kind of keep them around their property if they see them they don't kill them or whatever they let them kind of be on their on their own so that they can you know try and keep away other venomous snakes. Yeah, Heck yeah. Awesome. That's, that's, that's really and I've cool. heard and I don't know if this is true but I've heard that pigs um, are like immune to like snake venom or something and they'll kill snakes they'll go after venomous snakes yeah maybe because their skin's so thick yeah it could just be they can't penetrate it it could be so because yeah that's 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 kind of similar to a lot of our spiders like we've got a few spiders that are really venomous but they just can't break Mm. the skin and so people like yeah the people just kind of play around with them and and kind of like they're totally safe because they got such little little fangs that they can't actually penetrate your skin to get the venom into so they're pretty like yeah plastic and people just play around with them but yeah others have massive fangs that just rip into you and and cause a lot, cause a lot of grief um, i can imagine i know i know here in the united states we have uh uh there's a couple of pretty pretty intimidating spiders there's like the brown recluse there's um well tarantulas look kind of terrifying but i you know I, i've actually i'm not a spider guy at all I'm, i don't like i'm not into spiders at all but i've held tarantulas and not had in any any real fear of them or anything so to me the tarantulas aren't really too scary um but um yeah like the brown recluse and there's a few others who i can't remember they're pretty pretty nasty i had a friend in new mexico who was like you know, out out in his yard digging like 
fence post to put in a fence or whatever. And I think he got bit by uh, a brown recluse or something like that. And he ended up getting like staph infection and had to go to the hospital. And he had like this nasty like gouge in his hand or his arm where he had gotten bit and it was like eating the flesh away and it was pretty <clears throat> nasty. Yeah, that's that's yeah. horrible. Yeah. See, like the the thing is in Australia, like that's that they're our kind of predatory animals. They're the things that eat other things. Like we don't have bears and wolves and cougars and that sort of thing. Like the only kind of predatory thing we have would be um, like a fox, but that's introduced, and, and maybe dingoes. They're like kind of more wild dogs, but um, other than that, like we've we've got all kind of like plant-eating animals, like the bigger ones, like kangaroos and emus, and um, and those sort of things. Like our, I suppose the crocodile is probably our biggest predatory animal, but they're only like exclusively up north for where it's where it's really warm. But like everywhere else, like it's it's really only the little things that that kind of. That's crazy when you think about it. I mean, I guess, yeah, now do you guys have like deer or anything like that? Yeah, we've got deer, but they're, they're all introduced and they're kind of more of a pest. Like oh. they are, um, like in, in some areas, like yeah, they just kind of breed out of control and, and people try and cull them and that sort of thing. But they're not really a, um, a widespread sort of we, we've, we've actually got a, a massive population of, um, of camels, believe it or not. Like they're introduced, but we've got the biggest wild population of, of camels oh, in the that's world. interesting just in the middle of, just just roaming around in the middle of australia that's yeah. pretty cool I mean, it makes sense i know um or i heard i heard that in uh maybe the 1800s they tried to do that with camels in like uh, arizona um in, in the cavalry and the military they tried they wanted to use camel instead of horses um, but for some reason, it just didn't work. Like it wasn't, it didn't go the way they thought it was. So I guess they stopped doing that. But yeah, that makes sense. They have camels out in the, the, the middle of the desert. Although it sucks that like you know that's not really where they're supposed to be, and that's where they're they're habitating now. Same with the deer. Uh, yeah, that's that's wild. And then I, I imagine there's probably people have cows and stuff like that as far is like you know for farming or whatever too yeah well the thing in australia like there's there's farms like pretty much like all over australia like north south like on the on the south coast of australia farms all the way along it like it's it's pretty mild for um those sort of animals and for farming land and that sort of thing the um well our, our, our biggest temperatures each year is adelaide and that's on the south coast that's kind of the middle of the south coast of australia and um, every every single year, there's there's probably a week or two that's up over forty degrees Celsius, which is over a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, that sure sounds about right. Convert. Yeah, and um, I think this past past summer um, we had in, in there's one yeah one day we had um, the top fifteen temperatures in the in the whole world were in Australia this one summer day that we've just had just just past summer so yeah it, get, it gets kind of mildly cold and snowing in some places but um it gets yeah deadly hot in uh, most other places and yeah like it's it's kind of different heat wherever you go like you have a three degree celsius day up north but the humidity will be just absolutely ridiculous and and that's like the, the kind of killer for anyone working outside and that sort of thing but you could have like a 40 degree celsius day <coughs> kind of further down south and 
it'll be dry as and like you could withstand it a lot more you just go in the shade and it's probably 10 or 20 oh, yeah. degrees cooler yeah and it's all to do with uh, humidity here but um all around like yeah we have kind of wild hotter temperatures than than low temperatures definitely. that's pretty cool yeah the temperatures in wisconsin it, from the winter to the summer are pretty extreme like uh a hot day here will be like 90 95 97 and that rarely happens but it does so that's like you know that's close to 40 degrees celsius not quite but maybe like 38 or 39 yeah. degrees and then in the winter like <laughs> it gets like 20 below zero for oh, like about a, <laughs> this year it was like about a month it was a long time so that's that was pretty intense and then and then the rest of the year it's kind of just somewhere in between so you're talking like you know 120 degree variance between summer and winter yeah yeah well yeah that's that's wild like yeah we just don't kind of experience those so like we experience the heat but <clears throat> like where i live anyway like it, it rarely gets to zero degrees celsius whatever that's that that's 32 be. that's the freezing temperature, freezing point of water yeah yep okay so that's is that a pretty common temperature like that's it? about what it is right now i think here roughly <laughs> it's right right around it might be a little warmer than that today but it's yeah it's yeah, at night I, it'll probably get to that for sure and it's pretty much like the middle of spring right now for you guys uh, where it should be kind of warming it we got we still got about five inches of snow on the ground like uh oh, wow. i forgot what day we talked last but last thursday we got like about 10 inches just out of nowhere and it wow. was all melted everything was all melted too and then uh just last thursday it just it just came down hard so yeah we got it'll probably be here for another week or two i imagine the snow and then here it usually does it it's not really spring until about may sometime and then we go right into the summer by end of end of may it does spring doesn't really last very long here yeah pretty cool swing into summer and then you're wishing you got the cold, well you, colder, colder usually we have again. a pretty decent um autumn usually it can it can kind of vary too but usually it's a a couple months so it's it's pretty nice to have that after a really long hot summer is like where it's still sunny and it's still you know not freezing and the leaves are changing and everything's pretty so that's i like that that's our favorite time of year that's what that we actually named our daughter autumn because of you know it's our favorite time of year yeah, yeah that's a great name man <clears throat> yeah for, for us we don't really have too many native deciduous uh, is it deciduous when the leaves drop off? Uh, I've never heard called? that. No. Something like that. <laughs> well, yeah, whatever, whatever it's called when the leaves drop off the trees. Like, we have our main trees are like eucalyptus trees and they're green oh, all, okay. all around and they actually survive in, in snow as well. Like, they, they really, um, they're yeah, really good in, in harsh, kind of, yeah, cold and, <laughs> and hot. And that's, that's our main kind of tree everywhere so we didn't really experience the oh. kind of the fall or well, you're missing the, out the man you got to come visit the united states in the fall sometime <laughs> um yeah, yeah we have a lot sure. of evergreens um too not as many here as in like the state of washington i mean the state of washington is like almost all evergreens it's really pretty out there and yeah the yeah the pine needles you know stay on all year i mean they shed pine needles but it's not like they shed them like 
the leaves do where it's you know and you know and then they're gone they just they just shed them when they need to and they grow new ones so you always see pine needles on the the evergreens around here well i guess everywhere i don't know i don't know too much about evergreens just I know that I think they got them in. I think they have evergreens in like maybe Scandinavia too. I don't. I don't know. But yeah, actually, I didn't know that about eucalyptus. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's the main thing that we have, and like um, in summertime, like when it gets pretty hot, like you can actually see the eucalyptus kind of vapor, like kind of just coming off the off the trees, and it makes like a a green, like a bluish haze. Like we've got some some mountains just kind of west of Sydney called the Blue Mountains, just because yeah, it's just so dense with with eucalyptus trees that pretty much all year round it just looks like the actual blue mountains. Cool. Like it's, it's yeah, it's pretty cool. Like yeah, it's, that's just what we experience. But like your your um just seeing the moves and stuff the, the pine trees that you guys have they look so iconic because um like yeah just kind of like rocky real rocky mountains mm-hmm. and pine trees and, and that sort of thing it just that just looks so beautiful like I'd, I'd love yeah to experience for that. sure the mountains and the evergreens uh definitely we don't really have any mountains here in wisconsin um i have we have by us what's called rib mountain but i think by definition it's not even technically a real mountain and um but it's like the biggest one in Wisconsin, so I guess to us it's a mountain. Um, but other than that, it's it's pretty hilly. It's yeah, it's not flat, but it's not mountainous. It's just kind of really hilly here. Um, but we have this really pretty mountain. I'll I'll send you a picture that I took of it uh, after we're done with this. Um, we're done recording. I'll shoot a picture of it over to you. We got we got a ski hill up there, and you'll see in the picture like where all the trails are you can see the you know the snow on the ground and then the green around it um so it's pretty cool and then there's a lookout point up at the top with like a tower that you can go up and and um i've been meaning to take my p900 up there and try to get some really good pictures i just i just haven't done it uh instead something i've got to do like either in the spring or the fall because you know summer eh, i don't really like being outside when it's super hot and I mean, you just don't want to be on top of a, a mountain when it's, you know, 20 below and then up on the mountain, you know, the wind's going to be 30 miles an hour and it's going to be just unbearable. So like in the fall time, yeah. in this last fall, I was gone like the whole fall. I was in Massachusetts from, uh, well, I was in North Carolina from September to the beginning of October and then pretty much went straight to Massachusetts and I was there until December. So I kind of missed the fall this year here in Wisconsin and, and the fall kind of sucked in Massachusetts. So I kind of missed out this year, but um, yeah, I didn't get any pictures. I've been wanting to get up there since I had my, since I've gotten my P900 to get some really good pictures. I just haven't made the chance to do it, but I will soon, soon one of these days for sure. <laughs> So I got I, I got to tell you <laughs> Just, I yeah. watched that video you did um, and that was really really good and I want to I want to ask you what made you think how did you come up with the video and I'll I'll put the video in the the show notes so people can watch it for themselves <clears throat> So the the one with the the glass and you just mm-hmm. it upside down sort of thing yeah, well, I've, yeah, it's kind of just a magic trick that I kind of got taught ages ago and um, coming into Flat Earth just made me really think what, what is actually going on here, like why. Um, like I'll explain it a little bit. Like you really just need a, a glass or a container and you just kind of put, a, put water into it and just cover the entrance. And when you invert it, as long as the, um, like the, the kind of entrance is, is sort of just covered by that, 
by that lid. Um, the, the water will actually stay inside the container or the glass upside down and, and it's kind of um, like yeah, when, I, when I kind of thought back to what it was doing, like I was, I was actually washing up one night just doing the dishes and, and kind of accidentally do it with a glass and a plate. And I was thinking like this is a really great example of kind of higher pressure wanting to go to lower pressure because um, like yeah, it's, it's kind of a misconception that a vacuum kind of sucks and a, a, like a true vacuum is, is something that never exists like it's, it's just something that um, is man-made and, and a true vacuum is something that is, is void of all air pressure and, and particles and that sort of thing that can never kind of happen so the, the, the vacuums that we do experience and curate are just partial vacuums and like coming into, into flat earth um, just relating that to kind of having a high air pressure allegedly next to the infinite vacuum of space low pressure um, that just like this it's such a big issue at the moment and such a big topic that a lot of flat earthers are bringing up and really putting to the um, the globe believers that um, what how how is this actually happening because there's actually an, a natural law that that states like it's entropy like the second law of thermodynamics that actually states that anything any high 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 energy will always flow to low energy like high pressure low pressure um, high temperature to low temperature and, and it never naturally flows in in reverse without um, without some sort of energy input like it, it naturally just flows so um, it's in, in it, it's inherent that a vacuum cannot exist next to an air pressure and so like I was, I was kind of um, just demonstrating that like through this very very weak like because um, like yeah, that, that there is a bit of air in the, in the top of the top of the container or the glass and, and that's slightly less pressure than on the outside because the outside's pushing in so it's rather than um, this, this, this small kind of vacuum inside the glass kind of sucking the water up and sucking the lid up it's, it's more the air pressure on the outside pushing against it and that's yeah kind of just to sum it up that's just what we see everyday life like high pressure wants to flow to low pressure without exception and so yeah kind of the, at the end of the video like I kind of just summed it up just saying that um, that if man never existed a vacuum would never exist because nature abhors a vacuum that means that it, it totally cannot allow it to exist like there's no um, natural naturally occurring vacuum that can maintain itself like naturally on earth you'll never find it it's just something that kind of exists so that's what i'm kind of just just putting to to everyone that kind of believes that we have an air pressure next to the infinite vacuum yeah space. when i when i heard somebody make that point that how do you have you know an air an atmosphere and, and all that and different different amounts of of air pressure depending on your altitude even um next to a vacuum i was like yeah that doesn't make any sense that's like, I mean, the vacuum would, it would just pull it off. <laughs> so, and then yeah, you have this, well, yeah, yeah, the, if, the thing if is, yeah. The, you know, outer space and the universe is as big as they say it is, then how do you have this, this planet with, you know, this air pressure and everything? And there's, you, I mean, if you believe that there's nothing to keep that air pressure in, then how is it staying in? You'd have to have 
something. And then if you say, well, maybe there is something, well, then there can't be satellites and spaceships in outer space then. It's got to be one or the other. Because <clears throat> how are they get through that? So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, exactly. there's definitely a lot of holes in the story we've been told, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and then I guess the other thing I kind of wanted to ask you, too, was um, as far... Okay, so it, people who would be listening to my podcast probably don't even really know who you are. Uh, maybe a few would. Um, so I probably should do a little bit of an introduction almost. Um, so I, I had heard of Mitch... Um, basically, uh, I'm trying to think where originally I heard, I don't know if it was the Flat Earth podcast or if it was somewhere else off the top of my head, but, um, you were doing, or maybe it was Jaren from Jarenism. That might've been it. Um, you were doing, you know, the torque the line, um, experiment that you, you know, you were going to do that. So why don't you kind of tell people what that is? and how it works and where we're at at this point. Cause I don't, you know, I'm going to assume that nobody or everybody listening to my podcast has no idea what that is. Right. Okay. So, um, like I've been into flat earth for maybe almost three years and up until probably the end of last year, I was pretty partial to whether it could be, um, a, a global or flat. So I kind of came up with an experiment called, yeah, talk, talk the line. Um, which is basically trying to measure a bulge over water because uh, the, the assertion is that if we, if we live on a sphere, um, any given point, there should be like a measurable bulge or, or curve. And to my knowledge, this hasn't actually been physically measured. So that's what I set out to do. So talk the line is, is literally like I've got a lake that's um, about just over two miles um, long and I was planning to run a very strong light fishing line over that lake and pull it tight. So that's where kind of the, the talk comes into it. So talk, talking the line. And so the, the math behind it was that over those, I think it was 2.1 miles, there should be a bulge when you put it into the kind of curvature calculator of, of nine inches in the middle, so the midpoint. And so um, after researching kind of what, what you can do with tensions and lines and that sort of thing, um, I figured out that there's something, there's something called a catenary curve, which is no matter how, how tight you kind of pull a line, there's always mm-hmm. going to be a sag in the middle. And so that's, that's the first problem I encountered. But um, so I, I had to read, like, I had to read kind of think, like, how am I actually going to measure this bulge if, if there's such a sag in the line? And then I thought um, it needs to be like at water level or in the water so and and have a, a neutrally buoyant line which means like if, it, if it's at water level it's not going right. to sag and it's not going to really get pushed up by the water it's just going to sit there on the, mm. on the water level and and that's what i've kind of um so i went i went ahead and found a line it's called spectra um it's one of the strongest uh lines you can you can kind of get and, and the lightest um, like I, I actually ended up purchasing a uh, five thousand meter, like five kilometer line, and that that and only weighs four hundred grams, which is just under a pound. So it's it's super light for super strong, and the um, the strength of the line that I chose was fifty pounds. Um, and so, like doing the calculations, 
um, doing it at water level, like in the water, like being almost neutrally buoyant. It's only going to want to um, kind of be buoyed up if it is under the water um, over that distance, only about maybe uh, three or four inches. And so what, what it came down to was if I did do this experiment, I would expect to see at like if I pull it to, like if I tension it to 50 pounds over that two miles and um, taking out the, the buoyancy of the line, which would kind of reduce it by four inches, there should be a, like a, a further five and a half inches that this line should actually cut through the right. water at the bulge. And so that's that's the theory behind behind the whole experiment. And that's, uh, that's like upon testing the line, um, it was pretty unfortunate because like, I, I did crowdfund the, the line and I had really great support because a lot of people thought this is a great idea, including Jaron and including, yeah, like yeah, um, David Weiss from the Flat Earth podcast. That's kind of, yeah, two places that you probably would have heard me talk about the line other than my YouTube channel, Talk The Line. Um, but yeah, I crowdfunded it and, and, and got it funded. So like, I was, like I, was, I was planning to do the experiment and then let other people do it because kind of, just to get more data on, on different sort of areas because like just me doing it where I am really, it, it could prove for, for me what, uh, if there is a, a curve or, or if it's flat, um, but like yeah, I want to share it around, but it didn't even get to that stage, unfortunately, because I got the, the spectral line and I had did so many tests with it, just kind of testing out because it really needs to be up to 50 pounds, but the, the rating on it is 78 pounds for braking strength, but I didn't even get it to, to 50 pounds because I was kind of going through it and, and doing tests and tensioning it. But um, so I had to go back to the manufacturer and send a bit of it back um, for them to actually test it and prove to me that it was, that it could stand up to, to the 50 pound strength that they said it would. And um, they've come back and, and, and said basically that um, the method that I was using uh, isn't, isn't good for kind of testing the line like I kind of had to go about a different way and um, and so that's where I'm at at the moment I'm still kind of trying to trying to retest the line just making sure that I can get to the 50 pounds strength that I need because if it was any less and I couldn't hold it at 50 pounds like it's either going to snap or there's going to be kind of um, more buoyancy kind of take it into it because it's not, not as tight and so the, yeah, there's, there's just so many factors to kind of think of with this sort of thing um, just trying to get a team together to, to actually do this because I think like a lot of people think that this is a, a good test to actually physically measure the bulge of the earth if it's there or if it's not and um, like I said I'm still pursuing yeah, doing yeah the test I think out of all the tests that I've yeah. heard people come up with this one's one of my favorites because um, you know, the re refraction is has nothing to do with it and that's that's kind of always the the argument that people will use against any kind of optical test is well there's refraction and that's why you know the lights bending and that's why you can see further than we should be able to whatever you know those kind of those kind of arguments but with with this test um, it would it's cut and dry I think I mean either I mean probably the biggest thing that they you would want to argue one way or the other would be the the um, um, uh, how did you say it the the set the sag uh, 
Yeah, the, the SAG, like yeah, the yeah, um, catenary curve. Catenary, I almost yeah. said satinary keg. <laughs> it was in my head, it just was jumbled <laughs> up. Um, yeah, so that that would be maybe probably the only argument, but I think that's something that, you know, can be worked out, especially if, like you said, you know, other people are trying it in other parts of the world, in, in, you know, across their two-mile, you know, water or whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's pretty awesome. I, I love the idea of that, that, that test. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I've, I've been scrambling my brains for months and months and months trying to figure out what I can do and where I live to sort of, you know, test where we live in the shape of where we live, because, you know, it just seems like. There's always an argument, no matter no matter what you think of or what you try, it just seems like someone's always got some kind of argument and and then you almost just have to go back to the drawing board and go, okay, well, well let's let's look at it again and, and see what we come up with. So I guess that's kind of where, you know, I'm at too. Like it it seems like you can't prove it's flat one hundred percent for sure, but the story that we've been given based on the numbers we've been given, the you know, the size of the earth, that can't be right either. So it kind of almost leads you to believe, you know, that, well, either A, it's flat, or B, it's so much, if it is a sphere, it's got to be so much more exponentially bigger than what they've told us there is, you know, then they're hiding something. That's got to be the, you know, to me, those are really the only two options. I don't accept that the Earth is a sphere the size that they tell us. It can't be. And I even really have trouble with outer space and all that you know when, like we were saying when, when you think about a vacuum next to an atmosphere it just doesn't make any sense at all yeah there's there's always arguments either side of um yeah kind of to, to argue where we live but um i think what it comes down to after doing three years of researching like yeah, every aspect of flat earth like it, it really like the more knowledge you get the, the more you really understand how little we actually know and how how much we claim to know but but actually are just putting more sort of theories out there rather than actual testable knowledge because that's what it comes down to like um, what we can observe what we can test and repeat um, rather than just what we're told and and for me like I have no clue what the shape of our earth is like i can honestly say that i'm not going to put myself down to to a, a certain like yeah, flat or convex or concave or whatever but what i what i have realized in this past kind of three months after researching uh the that argument you just said of of um kind of air pressure being next to a vacuum that i can um i think that is the biggest globe killer like i can honestly say that, that there's nothing that can like other than demonstrating um, a, 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 a gas pressure being ne directly next to a vacuum without being kind of equalizing. Um, that's the only thing we kind of could make space uh, actually real because like there's, there's always going to be arguments that um, that their gravity is holding it down but that's that's another thing that has never been proven and that's what I was kind of making fun of in my video with the, the glass being upside down because um, that's that's really defying gravity. Like gravity is, is like kind of there's a couple of way to understand it, and the science likes to jumble it up and it's convoluted. But the the first kind of understanding of gravity is like the Newtonian physics, which is mass mm -hmm. attracting mass always, and that's that's just something that we can never actually observe. Like 
mass attracting. There's, there's no observation that we can do where a mass is attracting another mass. Um, what, what I've kind of observed and kind of put it down to is relative density. Like a lot of people saying buoyancy and density, but I think it's more relative density because um, it's it's more um, what whatever object is in a medium around it, whether it's more dense or less dense, is, is the direction that it's going to take. So if you've got a rock and you drop it, like it's it's just like the relative density underneath it is is a lot less. So it's going to equalise at the ground. That's 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 its like kind of equilibrium point that can't go any further. Whereas like you've got um, the gases like kind of oxygen, nitrogen sit down lower because they're kind of produce more lower to the earth. And then you've got kind of like helium is less dense. So it's relative density is above that. And that just actually sits there. So there's a, um, Paul on the plane has a, has a co-host is, uh, Stephen Knox. Yeah. So yeah. Knox. I'm, Have you heard I'm, of him? I'm, I've gotten through most of the Paul on the plane podcast, but I haven't gotten through all of them yet. I'm kind of like in the middle I started listening, I don't know, maybe around episode 12, and I've gotten um, all the recent ones kind of, like, listened to, but some of the beginning ones I haven't gotten listened to just yet. I'm working my way kind of backwards. But, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to hear about what Noxie... Uh, I know he, he was going to do, like, a video or a documentary about gravity, but I haven't heard too much more about it other than that. Yeah, well, his his theory and what he's been testing, and I think it's yeah true. But he's he's, he's yet to release his actual um, video on it because he's trying to get peer ah. review. Um, his his kind of whole theory behind it is like um, everything has a separation force. That's the force that we are observing. It's got nothing to do with mass attracting mass. Um, we aren't pulled to the center of the Earth. It's more like yeah, everything has a kind of a, a density rating, and how we do observe things accelerating at 9.8 meters per second that's that's something that we can um observe and like i'm not and no one's kind of denying that there is that sort of force but it's not put down to the center of the earth kind of pulling everything and accelerating everything at 9.8 meters per second it's more like um when you have two objects or two two mediums like a two gases like helium in um the, the oxygen and nitrogen kind of mixture that we have if they're kind of mixed together they will separate at 9.8 meters per second upwards and that's kind of defying gravity because it should be kind of everything that, that we're told that everything accelerates downwards at 9.8 meters per second and that's what like so so even like yeah, dropping a rock in 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 the atmosphere that accelerates at 9.8 meters per second but it's a separation force to find its equilibrium because what you got to remember is um, yeah, we have these natural laws that we observe and never not observe. And so we, we can't explain why they happen, but we can always see them happening like the second law of thermodynamics. And, and everything that the Noxie is kind of doing is really um, summing up that law that we see like everything kind of uh, like higher pressure going to, to lower pressure without exception. And that's what we observe and that's um, that's kind of just how things work like no one's claiming to to know why that happens but that's that's what we happen with without exception until someone can kind of um, come along and disprove that because there's there's another channel another great channel um, Nathan Oatley he does uh, flat earth debates yes. have you heard of him 
yeah. So he's he's kind of more of a, a scientific, uh, like he, he's not a scientist or anything, but he has come to understand the scientific method and really pushing that onto people who believe in the globe because that's it. Like to, and he's got a really great point that um, kind of these people of authority have used science to convolute everything like we're told science says that there's gravity science says that we're living on a globe and um that's i think that's the basis to all this deception like when you get down to the bottom of it like yeah we've just um put our faith in these people who claim that they are using science and the scientific method to um kind of get this data get evidence and proof of, of where we live where it's it's very far from the truth yeah i agree because yeah kind of when you when you get down to it like science when you actually look up the definition of science is um the, the study and observation of the physical and natural world and the experiments that you can can do from that so it's and and when you look up the definition of pseudoscience is actually any like methods and beliefs that don't follow the scientific method. So the scientific method is um, observing a natural phenomena, which is something that naturally occurs in nature, something that's not man-made that you can't um, induce into happening. And then after, like, I'll give you an example of um, like a sunrise. Like, yeah, we, we observe a sunrise as a natural right. phenomena. And then you go into making formulating a hypothesis which is like a, a, a prediction of why this is happening you're predicting what the cause of that effect is like the cause of the sunrise and we're told by by science or scientism that, that yeah, most flat earthers like to call it now that um, the sunrise is is a natural phenomena um, as a result of the earth rotating and so following the scientific method the the observed phenomena is the dependent so and then the cause is the independent variable which is earth rotation and so yeah using the scientific method you have to manipulate the independent variant which is the earth rotation in order to create an effect so if there are people that claim that this is science um, it's actually pseudoscience because you can't actually manipulate the the rotation of the earth to cause that effect it's something that is claimed to happen but we can't actually replicate that we can't demonstrate um, that actually happening there's there's no tests that we can do here on earth that can prove that there's actually any any um, rotation at all and let alone manipulate it and so that's yeah, proven to be pseudoscience from yeah, yeah. the word go and what and what these people kind of do they know they can't do follow the scientific method they know they can't manipulate these these variables so they go straight to the theory of it and so now we've got we've got theories which is something that happens at the end of the experiment after you've already proven proven your hypothesis that this is the cause of the effects they go straight to the end of the experiment and say this is what's happening we can't actually Kind of, uh, we we observe it, and, and and maybe this is why it's happening because of, of gravity and that sort of thing. And so they, we're we're being told theories, which is meant to be at the end of, like a, a, a proven, a proven experiment. So yeah, we're we're in a situation where the world is full of theories, science, 
what, what is claimed to be science tells us things rather than proves and shows us things and, and people who believe in the globe are, are blindly believing that and that's the, that's the problem that I have at the moment and these, um, yeah, Nathan Oakley and his, his debates have really opened my eyes to the deceptions that have been, been put upon us because he, he really pushes, like he gets science teachers, he gets professors, he gets kind of um, university graduate, graduates to come in on his debates and prove to everyone, like, yeah, kind of bring scientific evidence of, of gravity. Um, prove that there's there's a rotation, um, even even like the the um, the given like we're we're told that the Earth has a certain um, radius, and that's just an assumed radius from kind of calculations work backwards from kind of perspective when you look into it. And so when you put and, and even yeah the gas pressure next to a next to a vacuum, he he puts it um, kind of a little, a little bit more simply that um, like the definition of gas pressure is uh, the particles or molecules in that gas pressure kind of pushing against a container and so um, so he puts it to these these people that come in on the debates claiming that um, like yeah we can have gas pressure next to a vacuum he just says prove that we can have gas pressure without a container and so that's yeah, just something that can't happen it's like saying I like going down to your local mechanic and saying, okay, I, w I want that tyre and I want the gas pressure. So I want that gas pressure without the tyre sort of thing, right. without the container. Like, can yep. you do that for me? And and it's, it's those sort of arguments that really kind of put into perspective how, um, like, yeah, kind of, it's, it is a belief to believe in the globe. Like, there's there's actually no, no evidence that, that I've seen so far that, Kind of points to us actually living on a globe. I'm not. I'm not saying it's, it's it's definitely flat, but it's. I can, I can, yeah, kind of put it down to definitely not being a globe anyway. That's where I'm at. The yeah, moment. and that's kind of where I've come to too. At like I've been looking at this for two and a half years, and uh, at first, like I kind of just thought, like, wow, this. I can't even believe people think the Earth is flat. What are we doing? You know. And then uh, somebody yeah. who is. A pretty good friend of mine that is a really, really intelligent person, and they told me to look into it. And I remember thinking, like, "Oh my god, dude, you got to be kidding me! Are you serious?" I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. But then I, I thought about it, and I'm like, "Well, this person, anything they've ever told me to look into before, they've been right about. So I owe them at least that." to look into it because they've never steered me like in the wrong direction as far as looking into you know once you know something that's quote-unquote conspiracy theory or whatever um they're actually the person that got me to look into like 9-11 and stuff like that so i was like all right i'll look into it but i'm that's it i'm just gonna watch the one video and then that's it <laughs> and then here we are two and a half years later <laughs> 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 yeah, and exactly. that was the uh, video I watched was the um, um, the Earth is not a spinning ball, two hundred proofs by Eric Dubé. So after seeing that, yep. I was like, okay. okay, I got a lot of questions. I mean, I, like, I obviously I wasn't yeah. sold right away, but I was like, all right, there's some things in here that just you know they make sense in what I've been told. Uh, I've got a lot of questions now, so I just started questioning all that stuff, and then um, yeah, from that point on, I've just still been questioning the things we've been told our whole lives so i think yeah that 
yeah, I think that's that's the main point here to, to actually question what we are being told, like prove it to yourself that um, that's what's actually happening. Like, yeah, just don't go blindly believing men who, who claim they know knowledge, like actually put it to people, like how do we know this knowledge? Like how can we see it and replicate it? Um, and, th- and that's what it comes down to. Like that's what, like I'm, I'm not trying to preach flat earth to, to my children, but I'm just saying to them, like it actually, if the teachers are telling you something, like it doesn't matter what it is, like ask them how you know that, um, like kind of prove it, like why you're, why, te- why you're teaching this to us because um, teachers, I see, have the responsibility to, to teach what is true, not what is kind of conjecture and what is an accepted um, fact of the day because things look like back 100 years, how, how different our knowledge of, of the world is compared to what it is today and um, like how, how easily we can just change facts and figures to, to suit whatever narrative is being pushed. But um, what I see is like if you, if you ask the right questions, the truth will always come out. And and yeah, like you, that's that's where I'm at the moment, just asking the questions and, and, and pushing why why it is we believe in, in everything. Yeah. Pretty much. Yep, yeah. <laughs> it's even got me to look at stuff um, like, like I saw a video I think it was yesterday or whatever about like this American Civil War and you know why they really had the Civil War and was you know Lincoln really that great of a president and what you know what was his real beliefs on slavery and black people and then when you start looking you kind of find out oh well he didn't really care one way or the other if the blacks were freed from slavery he just wanted to keep the union together that was the bottom line for him and what had nothing to do with slaves being free or not free for him it was just what do i have to do to get the union to stay together and and like um slaves being freed were kind of like the byproduct of that happening but what we're told is that Lincoln freed the slaves and that's what the Civil War was about and that really wasn't even it. That was just a byproduct. And, and obviously that, you know, a good thing happened out of that, but I mean, that's not what we're told. We're not told that, you know, Lincoln didn't really care about black people or slavery. And well, we're told just the opposite. So it's kind of fascinating when you start going down the flat earth rabbit hole because it's not really just about flat earth it's just about questioning everything you've ever been taught ever and just going back and going well you know what did I learn and what what really happened and for me that's kind of where I'm at is just not accepting everything that I was blindly taught and and too young and ignorant to know to even question like I think it's good you're telling your kids that whatever they're being taught one way or the other just you know just question the teacher you know how, how do we know that this is the case and i think that's that's critical thinking um you know prove it to me you know prove that this is what happened show me and then look at other you know sources and stuff like that as well not just accepting that what we've been taught is is the reality of what happened so for me that's i think that's just kind yeah. of that's where i'm at yeah, I, mean, I think that's paramount. Like, I, I, I tell them, my kids as well, like, just because I'm telling you something doesn't mean it's true either. Like, yeah, if you think there's something right, like, yeah, question me why I believe in those things. And and usually if, if yeah, you can't answer it or you can't get yeah, evidence for it, it's, it's usually just a belief. It's not actually backed by any, right. any sort of evidence. So, 
it's like yeah kind of you just have to question everything and like yeah you see throughout history that's a, that's a great thing to bring up because yeah history is just such a big thing that um from from the outside what we get what we get told is um like a certain narrative but whether or not it, it's it's um kind of driven by by those factors or there's a different agenda altogether um there's just so many things there we get taught like the civil war like yeah september 11 there was alternative agendas going on but other than the official narrative and um the way that things happened like yeah just, just absolutely everything like and and kind of that's why like i wanted to look into flat earth as well because it, it is such a topic like yeah, you kind of you're moving through the truth community looking up these these certain things like it's okay to um, <clears throat> to look into why um, possibly the government was involved with September 11 or why we didn't go to space but as soon as you look into flat earth like you you're labeled a moron like this is given a like, given fact that we have a we live on a sphere earth like flying through space <coughs> around the sun like yeah it's just so so polarizing that's that's what I put it down to it's, just, it's a it's a real litmus test to kind of see how kind of honest honest people are to themselves to kind of just just to see like yeah, how, how far you're willing to push the things that you think you know sort of yeah thing. the other day on Facebook I was I I, don't, I saw some comment or something and some I'm trying uh, trying to think what it was oh someone had said some Glober had said something about well what if, if you flat earthers think that the moon doesn't control you know the the tides and what does and i said you know i think it could be magnetism and just me saying that like people flipped out i was called retarded and and then and then my kind of statement back was well are you denying that magnetism is a real thing i'm like, are you a magnetism denier and like of course that flipped them out even more they like the the response to that was who created <laughs> yeah. magnetism as if magnetism isn't real because i know they're trying to get me to say god did or whatever you know whatever they're trying to bait me into i wasn't going to go for it because i'm not going to engage in in behavior like that so i just didn't answer those questions i i just you know why would you even ask me who created magnetism what does that matter I mean, we know magnetism works. That's more provable than gravity. And and then I, I you know, I just kind of said, well, you can take, you can make salt water, and you can use magnetism to manipulate objects inside of the salt water. Um, it's not that hard. Go do it, and then come talk to me. And instead of doing that, I'm just called a retard. And uh, gravity. If someone says something about gravity, you can prove gravity just jump up and down. And I'm like, dude just go try using a manipulating an object in in inside salt water and then come talk to me but they can't even do that you know it, it, they just have to call people retarded and that's all they've got it's like yeah go do an experiment it's, first yeah, and then such come a trigger. talk to me that's that's what it should be about yeah yeah having having like sitting down and actually having a, a discussion like asking you why you think these things and then explaining why they believe these things and, and that's where you get to well, the yeah. bottom of things. Well, yeah, have, have a, discussion. a discussion. And I think what a lot of people don't even realize is um, the big bodies of water that aren't salt aren't even, don't even have tides. Like I live, we live by Lake Michigan. There's no tide on Lake Michigan. I mean, there might be a very, very, what you might say. I, I looked it up one time. And they said that the tide is about an inch to an inch and a half on average. Like, that's not a tide. Waves come in further than that. So, you, I mean, 
clearly has something to do with the salinity of the water, not the body of water or not the moon and all that. You know, it's, you know, I don't know what it is, but there, I mean, it's pretty obvious that bodies of water that are salt water have tides and they come in and out. Big bodies of water like Lake Michigan or, um, you know, any one of the other Great Lakes that are freshwater. They don't have tides, and there's a reason for that. So, I mean, do you think the moon is just somehow manipulating only salt water? That doesn't even make sense. But we know, we know that and, magnetism and that's, can that's, manipulate yeah. objects inside of salt water. So, <laughs> yeah, um, like yeah, what what I put to everyone is there uh, just explore different options. Like, give yourself options. Don't lock yourself into one sort of line of thinking because there's there's so many different options that we we don't even know about that we're not given that we don't even consider because we think that yeah this is a this is definitely what's happening this is a given thing like without even opening your mind to the possibility of anything else and and when you do that you're really closing yourself off to to any new knowledge like if the truth will come out like if if something is true like it will stand up to the criticism and to the um to the denies and that sort of thing and 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 that's what i'm seeing not well that's not what i'm seeing with the globe like every every like because you kind of like i went into flat earth trying to disprove flat earth like trying to prove to myself that yeah it definitely is a globe and the globe hasn't been able to stand up to the tests that i've been chucking out the research that i've done the, the questions that i'm asking like i just cannot prove to myself um that we live on a globe because there's the right proof just yeah isn't there and i think that's what happens with a lot of people they 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 hear about flat earth and then they go Oh, this is retarded. I can go, you know, disprove it. And then they get locked into, you know, they're, they become obsessed because every time they try to prove one thing, they're like, okay, well, let's try something else. And then, oh, well, you can't prove that. And then, oh, let's try something else. And then the next thing you know is, well, nothing. It seems like everything we've been told isn't even really accurate at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. You just have to remove your your beliefs and and start over and, and really, um, <coughs> sorry, build back up what 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 it is we observe around us because it's it's obviously and observably flat around us and that's what we can see. We don't feel or um, measure movement. We don't measure any curvature. Uh, we don't experience anything to do with space. There's just lights in the sky and that's all it is. Like you just have to remove yourself from from this. Um, knowledge that you you are given by people who can't explain why they're given it to yeah. you. Yeah, uh, I think that's that's probably you know good advice. Test everything. You know that's what the Bible says. Test everything. Prove it. Prove everything. So yeah, I think it's probably a good time to wrap things up. That was a fun and interesting conversation. And uh, um. Do you have any idea when anything new will develop with your uh, Torque the Line um, kind of? Uh, we're not called. What are we calling it? We're not calling it an experiment now. Uh, observation. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I kind of got gr- grilled. A, yeah, it's, it's more of an observation because like I, to to have an experiment, you need to have a observed phenomena. So I I've never observed the actual curvature of the Earth. So that's shot in the foot 
um, straight away. Like I was just trying to prove that there is a curvature or, or not. So it's more of an observation and like I, I can't actually change the name of my um, YouTube channel, being Talk the Line Experiment. But um, yeah, it's, it's more of an observation. But to answer your question, um, I'm still in the process of proving that the line that I have can actually hold up to the, the given strength of 50 pounds. And so I've been given a few more um, kind of ways to go about testing it and so that's where i'm at the moment it's just yeah, it's just so busy with with everything else like it's just um like finding the time and, and and setting it up and doing the effort in between kind of just family life mm -hmm. and work and um other things and so that's yeah when when there is an update you'll be the first awesome yeah and for sure we'll uh definitely uh whenever that does happen we'll definitely want to talk about that more for sure because I, I think that's probably the most fascinating type of um, observation um, potentially that is out there because I think uh, it seems like it's probably it, the best idea I think so far and I'm excited about it one way or the other no matter what I think it's just going to be a super fascinating thing and uh, yeah I can't wait yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, thanks for the support. And now yeah, I think it's a really viable thing for um, to be to be actually physically testing because, as you said before, yeah, it takes out the refraction, takes out the atmospheric conditions. It's actually a, a physical and mechanical kind of way to to prove something that hasn't really been proved before, which is a, a not, another red flag because why hasn't something like this been done before? Like it's it's more like surveying, and that, even that's an optical thing. But um, that's just another red flag that I saw that why is something not not been done before like to, to actually physically and mechanically measure the earth without these um conditions that can be refuted at every turn so yeah i think that's a way to a, a great way to um round out the the podcast and thank you again for having me matt it's been great uh, kind of bouncing ideas off you and, and learning things about where you live compared to where i live yeah just yeah i've dis always discussion. been super fascinated from uh a young child with australia for some reason i'm not sure if it was uh it might have been when i was really really young it might have been the movie um crocodile dundee i don't i don't know if that was it or not but i've <laughs> always like wanted to go yep. to australia and check it out so uh that's cool um do you have it uh do you want to plug your youtube channel or your channels or whatever and um yeah well my my most recent one with that video that you that you said with the um the weak vacuum defying gravity is uh, Mitchell from Australia. That's kind of just the the name that I go by, um, like on pretty much everything because that's my name, Mitchell, and I'm from Australia. And <laughs> there's not too there's not too many Australians kind of in the flat Earth game at the moment. So um, that's just yeah who I am, what my channel is, and yeah, look me up on YouTube, Mitchell from Australia, and um, there'll be more videos. Yeah, soon, awesome. Uh, yeah, and then uh, like I said, I'll put the link for that video that people can go watch it and see what we're talking about in the description unless i forget which would be terrible <laughs> i'm so bad at remembering to put links in the description i like try to do it and i just every time i'm not so good at it but i'll i'll make a note to do that but yeah thanks for coming on and uh we'll do we'll keep doing this uh because uh, i definitely like like you said bouncing ideas off each other talking and just chit-chatting and all that stuff but uh cool thanks everyone for listening and i'm dread matt and i'm out <laughs>